Amen. Well, good to see you, and uh, glad that we can be together uh, to worship King Jesus. He is worthy. It was good to start out with that passage uh, of the triumphal entry that we remember on this Palm Sunday. I'm not preaching from that passage today because we're finishing our series in Acts, uh, but I love the end of that and how that just led us into worship, that, that if, if, if uh, these were silent, even the stones would cry out. Our Jesus is worthy of our worship all the time, and so good to join our voices in that, and then to sing about the victory that we know is His forevermore. Uh, that's where our hope is. If our hope's in anything else, it just goes up and down. I was reminded of that. So yesterday, my son and I went up to watch the Minnesota Twins in their opening weekend, uh, their second game of the year, and went up there and watched the game, and, and a lot of it was kind of dull. Until the eighth inning, the Twins were behind by two. Byron Buxton comes up, and he hits a two-run homer, and they go ahead. and like, oh, they're going to win. The crowd's on their feet. Everybody's cheering. like 20,000 people there. Everybody's in. Hey, victory is ours, right? And then the ninth inning, their, their relief pitcher come in and blows it, and they lost the game. And uh, all of a sudden, everybody's really, really quiet. And then there's even a number of boos uh, happening. And so when our hope is in anything like that, like it's just going to go up and down. And a crowd can get into it for a moment and just moments later kind of be booing because like that. But man, don't you love worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who has victory forevermore? Uh, and so we can, we can stand and sing his praise and worship him is a good thing to do that this morning, more enjoyable even than a baseball game. And so... Um, Glad that we can be together uh, to do that. Glad, uh, like, like Pastor Nick mentioned, there have been a lot of people here recently. Um, and so you might notice that you feel closer to the people around you. Maybe it's because of the warmth of their personality, or maybe it's because the rows got scooched closer together. Um, that's what happened. We added an extra row, so if you feel closer, that's why. We added about 20 more seats so that it feels a little bit more like when people come, they don't feel like, hey, they don't have a spot for me there. We don't want that. Um, and so thank you to Jerry for his work every week in making sure the chairs are all evenly spaced. We, we mess them up every week, and Jerry fixes them every week. So thankful that he got to add uh, an extra row now this week. We're pretty much out of chairs, so, um, and kind of getting out of space as well. Um, but we'll talk about that at some point as well. I am grateful uh, for our memory verse this week. If, if uh, That usually is on the back of the bulletin, uh, on the slides up above. I don't have it up there right now, but John 16.33 is this week's memory verse right here on your back of your bulletin. It just says this. This is Jesus talking. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is good news. Uh, There's a promise. In this world, you will have tribulation. But in Jesus, we can have peace in the one who has overcome the world. And it's good uh, to look forward to celebrating that even in the coming week. Well, I mentioned today, rather than doing a Palm Sunday passage, we're just finishing up our series in the book of Acts. And I think it's actually quite appropriate. This is our, I, I looked back, this is the 51st sermon in the book of Acts. So 51 sermons uh, it took to get through 28 chapters in the book of Acts. We're going to make it to the end uh, today. From the beginning, I've pointed out just what I call kind of like the, the melodic line or the theme of the book. In one sentence, you could say that the theme of the book of Acts has been this, that the work of Jesus continues through Holy Spirit-empowered believers 
who proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We really get that from the very first chapter, and then we see that played out throughout the book. So if you have your Bible with you, just for context, before we look at the last verses, let's jump back to the very beginning of the book, Acts chapter 1. Note that in verse 1, the reason I said the theme of the book is this is the work Jesus continued to do is because there was this concern, how is the work of Jesus going to continue when Jesus isn't with us in the same way that he had been? Okay? So in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it begins this way. In the first book, O Theophilus, I, and that's Luke writing the book, have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Remember, the first book is the Gospel of Luke, and Acts is a sequel. And so he's talking about in the first book, Luke, I wrote about what Jesus began to do and teach, implying that this book, the sequel, is what Jesus continued to do and teach. And how is he going to do that? Well, not in the way that the disciples totally understood. Remember that on Palm Sunday, the expectation of a lot of the people was that Jesus was coming to be a certain kind of king, a political liberator kind of king. And really the disciples, even after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they kind of thought that too. Right? So look at verse 6 in Acts chapter 1. Remember this. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this when Jesus, the Messiah, the king, comes and restores the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus has to correct them a bit. And in verse 8, we get the outline of the book. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's really the outline of the book. So we spent uh, a few weeks in chapters 1 through 7, then we took a break. Then we spent a few weeks in chapters 8 through 12, the Judea and Samaria section, and then took a break. And then we've been now in, verse, in chapters 13 through 28, the how does the gospel get to the ends of the earth section of the book. Today, we're going to look at the final verses of the book, Acts chapter 28, verses 17 to 31. And we're actually going to look at these verses relatively quickly because I want to leave about half of our time for application and reflection on what we've seen throughout the book of Acts. Because here's what I think we've seen. That through many challenges, the work of King Jesus continues. Through many challenges, the work of King Jesus continues. And we're going to spend like half of the sermon at the end looking at how we've seen that happen in the book of Acts. Briefly mention how we've seen that happen in 2,000 years of global church history. And then even look at how we've seen that specifically happen in the last two years since we started this series in Iowa Falls, Iowa. Okay, So that's kind of where we're headed today. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the word of God? I should mention just for context, when we left off last week, Paul, a prisoner, has finally made it to Rome. The Lord promised he would get there. He's now made it to Rome, and so that's that's the context, and we're going to see Paul waste little time in doing what Holy Spirit-empowered disciples of Jesus do, proclaiming the gospel. Let's pray, and then we'll read the word. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do now what your Holy Spirit does, having, having uh, encouraged, having been with, having empowered Paul and many other disciples 
before him and after him to do the work of proclaiming the gospel. We're thankful for their faithfulness. We're thankful for the people that proclaimed the gospel to us. We're thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, who does the work of regeneration, causing us to be born again through faith in Jesus. And we pray that as you have been faithful in doing that through the centuries, that you would be faithful in doing that even here today by the power of your Spirit, working through your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Acts chapter 28, verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But... Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, quote, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, with their eyes and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, and without hindrance. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so inside your bulletin there is a sermon notes page. Uh, and you're welcome to use that if that is helpful to you. And you'll see there three points to get us through the text and then the point of application getting us to really look back through the whole book. And the first point there is this. Through suffering and opposition, yet hoping. Through suffering and opposition, yet hoping. So I love when Paul has landed now in Rome, he's doing exactly what he does everywhere he goes, and that is he is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as he does almost everywhere he goes, he's going to start with the Jewish people in that area. Most of the time, he goes to where they are. Most of the time, Paul, as he goes to city to city, he travels to the synagogue or any place that he can find Jews in the community and proclaims the gospel to them there. In this case, remember, Paul is a prisoner. 
And so he's under arrest there in Rome, and so he has to call the Jewish leaders to come to him rather than going out to them. And he does that. He doesn't waste any time. It says in verse 17, it was after three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And what he does in verses 17 through 20 is he basically makes his case, letting them know, I haven't done anything against the Jews. In fact, I haven't done anything against the Romans, and that's why they have acquitted me. The only reason I'm here is because I have appealed to Caesar. So I'm here to appeal to Caesar. I'm not bringing counter charges against anyone. I don't have anything against my nation by any means. And then look at verse 20. It says this, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. If you think back to what we've seen in Paul's life, in many ways, Paul's life prior to his conversion was pretty comfortable. He was a Pharisee. He was looked up to as kind of a shining young star in the Jewish community. And then he encounters Jesus. He's saved. And then everything starts to go south. Everything we've seen, while we've seen much fruit come from his ministry, we have seen all sorts of suffering and all sorts of opposition follow Paul wherever he goes. So we get to the end of the book, and it's not like this great story of victory. Paul's Paul's a prisoner by the end. Right? So all sorts of opposition and suffering, and currently he's reminding them, I'm in chains. But he also reminds them of why he's in chains. Did you see that there in verse 20? Why is Paul in chains? Well, he tells them, it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. You see, wherever Paul's gone, he's never let up on telling the truth that Jesus is Israel's promised Messiah. That if Israel is to have any hope, it is in the person and work of Jesus. And so Paul is letting them know, once again, these Jewish leaders there in Rome I'm wearing chains, not because I'm against Israel, but because I'm for Israel. I myself am a Jew, and I need you to know that the hope of Israel is Jesus. And that's why I'm in chains. So this is what he's presenting before them. And this is why he's faced all sorts of opposition and suffering. Now, interestingly... It seems like Paul's reputation amongst Jewish leaders has kind of followed him everywhere he's gone, where he'll go to one city, he'll have an audience for a while, but then some other people come that knew him from another city, and they start attacking him, sometimes physically, right? In this case, they say, we haven't heard any evil about you. (laughs) Well, all right. Finally, Paul showed up at a place where, where he doesn't already have everything stacked against him, right? So verse 21, it said this, And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. Well, this is new for Paul. This is great. Imagine showing up somewhere and they don't think you're evil. Uh, That's good. But then they say, the other good news here is they're ready to hear something from Paul. They say, we desire to hear from you what your views are. Doors wide open for evangelism, right, for Paul. And Paul, even if the door's not open, he's going to bust it open anyway, and he's going to get to Jesus, whoever he's with. But they're just opening the door. And they're still seeing the Christian faith, the way, as this kind of small sect within Judaism, 
right? And they're saying, hey, listen, we know the reputation of this small sect, this, this Christianity or the way or these people, whatever, whatever you want to call yourself, we've heard of your reputation. Everywhere it's spoken against. But we're, we're up for hearing your views, okay? So they're skeptical but open to hearing, okay? That's where we're at then as we walk through those first verses, recalling all of the opposition and suffering that Paul has faced, yet he continues knowing, hey, if I say these things, that Jesus is the hope of Israel, that's why I'm in chains, and I bet these people aren't going to like it. But he does it anyway. So yet through suffering and opposition, testifying. Point number two, through rejection, yet testifying. Actually, my point was through opposition and suffering, yet hoping, right? And then through rejection, yet testifying. So let's look at verse 23. Verse 23 says this, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging. Again, remember, he's a prisoner, so he can't go out to them, but they are interested enough that they come and visit Paul the prisoner. And note that it also says in verse 23, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. Okay, So it wasn't just the leaders he had first invited, they're taking others with him to hear what Paul has to say. And Paul doesn't do like a half-hour sermon because people are thinking about lunch. He, from morning until evening, it says, from morning till evening, he expounded to them. Testifying, listen to what he was doing. Number one, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So what's Paul doing? He's testifying to the kingdom of God. That is, he is telling them the good news about the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Testifying about the kingdom of God and, and he's trying to convince them about Jesus. And what is he using to convince them? Well, their Bible. We call it the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Law and the Prophets. He's taking their scriptures and using them to show how all of their scriptures point ahead to Jesus, trying to convince them. All right, what's the result? Are they going to believe? Like, is this book going to have a happy ending? Bottom of the ninth, he pulls it out. What happens? Verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Well, that sounds about right, doesn't it? Because that's what we've seen all through the book. All through the book, the gospel is proclaimed, and what happens? Some believe, others don't, right? And that's what happens here towards the end of the book as well. Some believe and some don't, it says in verse 24. And then it says in verse 25, disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement, okay? So he gets in one more word, and his statement he begins, he prefaces it by saying this, the Holy Spirit was right. Well, of course the Holy Spirit was right, right? I also want you to note this, that he's, he's talking about uh, the, the prophet Isaiah. So note that he says, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. So he's saying something about scripture right there, right? We believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, all of it, including the Old Testament. And Paul here is agreeing, Right? It's not like we came up with it and Paul's agreeing with us, right? It's, this is what Scripture says, that, that, that the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah the prophet. This would have been 700 years before Christ, right? 
And what Isaiah the prophet spoke 700 years before Christ is this prophecy of how it would go. And the way it would go is that many of the Jewish people would be hearing but never perceiving. Like listening but not really hearing, right? Like they're getting it but they're not really understanding it. Right? And so that long extended quote from Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 is here in verses 26 and 27. And there, therefore, is a conclusion. As Paul quotes this, here's his application of it. In verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Again, we've seen this throughout the book, and this is a tension throughout the New Testament. Paul's desire as a Jewish person is that the Jewish people would hear the good news about the Messiah and trust in him. Yet Paul is recognizing the Holy Spirit said through Isaiah 700 years ago that many of you would reject this message and the gospel would go to the Gentiles, that they might be grafted in. Right? And so Paul, again, is reminding them of that right here at the end of the book of Acts. So through rejection... Paul continues to testify. Man, just think, if Paul, like, when we're just doing an evangelism Sunday school class right now, and a lot of the reason that a lot of us don't do the work of evangelism, we're scared of being rejected. Imagine if Paul was scared of rejection. He would have quit a long, long time ago, right? But he has continued to be faithful wherever he goes, and rejection just didn't look like, oh, they unfriended me. <laughs> like, that's not it, Right? Oh, they don't talk to me the same way they used to talk to me. That's not it. Rejection for Paul looked like he's getting beat. He's got chains on him now, right? But Paul continued to testify even though rejected again and again. And then the last two verses. By the way, I should make a note because you're like, whoa, you just read verse 28. Did you notice this in your Bible? I just read verse 28. What's the next verse? Verse 30. Oh, you said it. You said 29, because that's normally how our math works. After 28, we have 29. What happened to verse 29? Why does it skip from verse 28 to verse 30? Well, well the reason is uh, because, so we added verse numbers to the Bible, right? I, I don't want to take a long time on this, but we added verse numbers to the Bible. And when we added verse numbers, the most reliable original manuscripts that we had included a sentence that was labeled at that time verse 29. But over time, as we found more reliable manuscripts, they found that verse 29 wasn't in the earlier manuscripts, the more reliable ones. And, and, and the Bible translators were honest enough to say, well, if that wasn't in the more reliable transcripts, somebody at some point added that, and we're not going to say that's God's word if we're pretty sure that the earliest and more, more reliable manuscripts didn't have it. So they put it down like in a footnote probably in your Bible, right? Unless you have an older translation, they might still have verse 29 in there, okay? It doesn't really add or change anything about the story, but at some point somebody was copying this and, and thought they should maybe add to it. So now they're like, oh, well, that wasn't originally there. Luke didn't write that. Let's, let's take that out. So that's why there's not verse 29, okay? Verse 30. Final two verses. Final point is this, through limitations yet advancing. Through limitations yet advancing. Acts seems to end abruptly, right? You'd, you'd expect kind of like after, man, 51 sermons for us, 28 chapters of, of the history. By the way, the, the period of time that's elapsed from the beginning of Acts to the end is 30 years. This is like the 30 most important years maybe in the life of the church. 
This is how the church grows from a tiny group of people in one city to a worldwide movement in the course of 30 years. And so, like, oh, I want to know so much. And so we get to verse 30, and it says, He lived there, this is Paul in Rome, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. So he's still a missionary even though he can't go everywhere because other people are coming to him. And what's he doing? He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And you get done, you're like, where's the rest? Like, we want to know what happens to Paul. We've been following Paul since chapter 9. That's when his conversion took place. We've been wondering, well, what's going to happen with Paul? Like, he finally got to Rome, but what now? Well, Luke doesn't tell us. The book's just done. From history, we learn that Paul was likely imprisoned there for a couple of years, where he was then released and then rearrested and then executed. Why don't we have more? Why doesn't it, why doesn't it end in a different way? Well, I think I'll just tell you this. Because Acts is not Paul's biography, right? The Holy Spirit did not intend for Luke to write Paul's biography. The Holy Spirit intended for Luke to give the church an account of how the work of Jesus continued even after the ascension of Jesus through Holy Spirit-empowered believers who proclaimed the gospel. And that's then what we have. And so that's why I've called this sermon to be continued. Because really, as you get to the beginning of Acts, it's to be continued from the book of Luke. And you get to the end of the book of Acts, like, well, that doesn't seem like much of a conclusion. What happened? Well, it's to be continued. The work of Jesus continues through Holy Spirit-empowered believers who proclaim the gospel wherever they're at and wherever they go. So, that's it. That's the end of the book. But I told you that I wanted to spend part of our time just reflecting and being able to see, as we look back at the whole book, what we have seen. And so, let's take a little bit of time to do that. The argument for today's message was simply this. Through many challenges, the work of King Jesus continues. Through many challenges, the work of King Jesus continues. Let me ask you, have we seen that in the book of Acts? Have we seen many challenges and have we seen the work of Jesus continue? Yes. Let's just talk about that for a moment. Remember that in the book of Acts, we have seen many challenges. We have seen arrests. We have seen threats to gospel men like Peter and John. Like, remember, don't you dare talk about Jesus ever again. It'll go well if you do that. We've seen internal conflict, haven't we? Remember in chapter 6, some widows were getting fed, other widows weren't getting fed. That's why they established deacons in the church. You want to talk about challenges, one of the first believers, one who was called to be a deacon, chapter 7, remember what happened to Stephen? They threw rocks at him until he died. This following Jesus stuff is dangerous. The apostles had to be convinced that the gospel was for the Gentiles too. That was hard for them to swallow, especially Peter. Then there was a disagreement about which religious laws still needed to be followed. How are Gentiles supposed to follow Jesus? How are Jews supposed to follow Jesus? How are they supposed to do it together? They had to have a council in chapter 15. Then there was, man, imagine this. This has never happened in the history of church since. But there was disagreement between Christians. Imagine that. Right? 
Remember Paul, like Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and that whole thing? And they're like, all right, we can't be together. We're going this way, you go that way. Right? Disagreement within the church. There was cultural and racial tension all throughout this. And then in the last weeks, we've read about riots, trials, a storm, a shipwreck, snake bites, all sorts of stuff. Challenge after challenge after challenge over the course of 30 years in the book of Acts. Yet, have we not also seen in the book of Acts the continued advance of the gospel as Jesus continued to work? Haven't we? Over and over again. We started with a group of 70 somewhat confused disciples of Jesus wondering what was going to be next. And within a few days, there was thousands converted in one day in one city. And from there, missionaries are sent out. They do miracles, they get people's attention, and then they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, conversion after conversion, starting in Jerusalem, moving out to Judea and Samaria. An Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. Saul the persecutor is converted and becomes a missionary. Jews are being saved. Gentiles are being saved. The gospel spreading to the ends of the earth. So there have been challenges in the book of Acts. Yet, by the end of it, we've still got Paul preaching the gospel and the kingdom of God with all boldness and without hindrance. This is good. Some of you, during a portion of this time, have taken a Sunday school class on church history. So I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I just want to remind those of you that were in that class and tell the rest of us who might be pretty blind to a lot of church history that this has continued. The church for 2,000 years across the globe has continued to face challenges. You know that, right? That, that You know what happens after this, after the book of Acts? Well, Paul and probably all of the other disciples, except for John, were executed for their faith in Jesus. We've seen executions all throughout the world, all throughout church history. We've seen false teaching all throughout the world, all throughout the church. We've seen corruption within the church. There have been religious wars that have been fought. Have we seen challenges throughout the history of the church? Yes. Yet, have we also seen that the gospel has continued to advance as Jesus continues to work in church history, right? We've seen councils and creeds to guard good doctrine, people sacrificing their lives to translate and distribute to the Bible, right? We've seen a reformation, we've seen world missions explode, we've seen great awakenings, and we've seen a small sect that everybody was skeptical of become a worldwide movement to now where over 2 billion people claim the name of Jesus on this planet today. In spite of all sorts of challenges that have come up against the church, have we seen the gospel continue to advance and the work of Jesus continue? Yes, we have. And let's bring it home. I want to just look at two years of Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church history. We started this sermon series in January of 2020. Didn't life seem different in January of 2020? Has the church faced all kinds of opposition, suffering, and limitations, just as Paul faced opposition, suffering, and limitations in that time? I mean, some people like to look back on like a national scale. On a national scale, have there been threats to the religious freedom of Christians? Yeah. 
do we see our culture continue to head in a direction that's not just like different? It's not like the, the church is going this way and the culture is going this way. There, there's the church going this way and the culture going a different way, being opposed to the church going the way that we're going. We've seen that happening as well. But despite the opposition that the church might feel in the world today, I'm not even talking about outside of, and we could have long lists of Christians outside of the United States feeling all sorts of these things. We start to feel some of those things within our own country. Have we also, though, seen the continued advance of the gospel as Jesus continues to work? I mean, think about life since 2020. Maybe you don't think the right people are on Capitol Hill or in the Oval Office or the Supreme Court. Yet in the past two years, we have been reminded, have we not, that our hope is not in politics. That goes up and down like baseball games, right? That's not where our hope is at. It's not in our country being a global superpower. That's not where our hope is at. Our hope is in the God whose sovereign power makes Putin look like a preschooler, Trump like a toddler, and Biden like a baby because our king is the king of kings and lord of lords who has come, who died, who rose, who ascended, who intercedes for us, and who is coming again. That's the God that we worship, right? And so we can look at, oh, this looks scary in the world that we're in, and ultimately we're not all that scared because we know who the Lord is, even in the face of opposition. And did we not also see the challenge of suffering over the last two years in our own church? Our church walked with one another as people we loved faced sicknesses and surgeries. Our church has had people dealing with the ugliness of abuse and adultery. In our church in the last two years, a number of people have wrestled with death and with divorce. Many of you lost a parent or grandparent. Some of you lost a sibling. At least one of you lost a son in the last couple of years, and at least one of you lost a wife in the last couple of years. As a church, there's been suffering. We lost people that we loved. Yet God has continued to advance the gospel the work of Jesus continues because our church in all of that suffering has learned to love one another better. We've seen people wrestling with doubts, struggling with de depression, have their faith built up as they meet together with a life group and in a Bible study by listening to sermons. We've, see, we've seen people who used to spend their weekends partying now getting together with a bunch of goofballs like us and praying and worshiping Jesus. We've seen families take steps of obedience in making disciples at home. We've seen people who were living lives isolated from others now living in community with other believers. So we've seen suffering, but Jesus' work has continued. And we've seen limitations, haven't we, over the last couple of years? During the pandemic, all churches wrestled with limitations and restrictions. We met online only for 10 weeks. Some churches ended up doing that for months and months. We had to limit one year the number of kids in Awana. We had to say goodbye. I was just feeling limited when we had to say goodbye to a beloved associate pastor during the pandemic. It's like, oh man, how are we going to do all this stuff? But God continued to advance 
the gospel. Jesus continued to work. God provided a wonderful new associate pastor. We learned how to do Awana better. We figured out that we can disagree about stuff like masks and vaccines and still work together in unity for the sake of the gospel. Giving remained strong. We kept supporting all of our missionaries. We raised a roof in Nigeria. We got a lot more people with us now on a Sunday morning typically than we had before the pandemic. We have seen in the book of Acts, we have seen in church history, and we have seen in the last two years in Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church that the church continues to face challenges of all kinds. Opposition, suffering, limitations. Yet, God is faithful. And so we see the church continue to be built. The gospel continuing to advance. And so let me close with this. Here's what I think we will see in the days ahead. What we will see, maybe because we're starting to see some of these things starting to come. I mean, on a church level, we're going to see like, oh, we've got to figure out well, how we're going to fit people, <laughs> right? Well, that's going to be, every, anything we do is challenging, like cramming together. We, we don't want to be unwelcoming to people. So do we need to add more? Well, that's going to cost something if we do that. Or we need to split into two services. Well, that gets challenging. and That doesn't address every, like there's going to be challenges ahead. Probably we'll disagree about stuff, right? I mean, I was joking, by the way. Did you know I was joking when I said that, that when Paul and Silas and those guys disagreed in the church, that was the only time that's ever happened? I was joking, right? We're going to disagree about stuff, right? So you look at the world around us, is there going to be more suffering? Is there suffering in the world around us right now? Horrible suffering. Brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine dealing with that kind of thing right now. There's going to be all sorts of things that in the days ahead, you know, from inflation, economic issues like supply chain issues, war, another divisive political season that's coming up, all that stuff. And we can look at that and we can look at what's even happening presently. I just had this, Kirsten and I just had this conversation this week. There's some days you're just like, this is bad. Like just like, you know, you ever just get that some days where you just kind of look at everything around you like this is, we're not in a good spot. And, and it can lead us to hopelessness if we don't remember that despite challenges, there will be more gospel advance as Jesus continues to work. And so that's what I want to close us with. Our desire is that in the face of whatever challenges might come in the next couple of years, that the gospel would continue to advance. That the work of Jesus would continue both in us and through us. No doubt, this will come through all kinds of challenges. No doubt, there will be opposition, rejection, suffering, and limitations. But I also have no doubt that these blocks that seem to be barriers might become the bricks that are used to build the body of Christ. That all of these things that seem so scary, so challenging, they, they seem like blocks that are going to be barriers that prevent us from doing what God's called us to do might become the very bricks that are used to build the body of Christ. I have no doubt that Jesus will continue to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I have no doubt that in this world we will have tribulation, but that in Jesus we can have peace because he has overcome the world. 
I am confident in this, not because I look at you or I look at myself in the mirror and say, man, those people got it together. I'm not confident in that. Sorry. And you can't be confident in me. My confidence comes in the fact that we know the one who is the head of the church. We know that he is the king. We're confident in the eternal reign of King Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the hope of Israel and the whole world. He is our salvation. He is the Christ. He is Lord. He is the crucified and risen King who will return to judge and be forever present with all those who have been saved by His grace through faith. He is Jesus, and His work will be continued. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way that this book has directed us again and again to see that Jesus is Lord and that makes an incredible difference in the world that we live in today. Thank you that we have been able to see that clearly in the book of Acts, that the work of Jesus continued even after the ascension of Jesus through Holy Spirit-empowered believers who faithfully, in the face of opposition and rejection, suffering, limitations, continued to proclaim the gospel and continued to see the gospel advance. Thank you for the way that that happened, not just in the 30 years of the book of Acts, but through 2,000 years of global church history. And thank you for the way that we've seen that happen in two years of history here in Iowa Falls. And God, we pray that we would see that continue to happen in the weeks, months, and years to come. Our confidence is not in ourselves in any way. And where it is, would you strip it away and replace that with a great confidence in you, in your unshakable sovereign power, and in your personal deep love for us that we see most clearly in your Son. In his name we pray.